As uh, Pastor Nick mentioned, um, our family is going to be attending, not just attending, but worshiping and serving with you here at uh, Arendelle Bible Chapel. This is sort of, to be totally transparent, this is sort of my introduction to you. So if it goes okay, then hopefully everything will move forward well. If it doesn't, well, we've got lots of time to make it get better and better and better. So we really can't lose. Well, I hope not anyway. Um, uh, can I just say, in, in uh, coming to this church, one of the things that Pastor Nick mentioned to me was how caring and how kind and warm uh, this church is. And this is my first time being at this church. I've met several people online several times before, but even in just this first meeting, um, everything he said is true. And so I am excited and encouraged to know that uh, this is a caring church. Um, I want to care for you. My wife and my family want to care for you. And so we look forward to the days ahead um, as we work together to see God's kingdom built here at Arendelle, in Mississauga, in Toronto, in Canada, to the ends of the earth for his glory. I always like to pray before we look at God's word, and so let's do that now. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that we have the opportunity today to look at your word, to be instructed by it, to be convicted by it, to be um, strengthened by it. And so we pray today as we open up your word in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, that you would open our eyes to see your truth, that we would have ears to hear as your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts, that we would hear what he has to say to us, and that our hearts would be open to receive it, and our hands would be ready to do what you want us to do. Cleanse my lips now to speak your truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Nick mentioned, um, as he introduced us to the congregation, that we spent 21 years in China, Beijing, China. And that has given me uh, a great opportunity to tell lots of wonderful stories of different things that happened. When you live in a different culture, lots of interesting things happen in your life. Um, things that you never expected and some valuable lessons can be learned. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said uh, that culture is like uh, being a fish. And he said, fish do not know what water is until you take them out of it. But once you take the fish out of water, they're keenly aware of what water is. And I didn't know what being a Westerner was like until I went to China. And then I became well aware of what it means to be a Westerner. Anyway, I want to start today by telling you uh, a story. It's a true story of one thing that happened to me when we first were in China. Um, we were, the whole time we were there, we lived in the city of Beijing. Beijing, as you know, is a very big city. Uh, 
the, the numbers vary depending on what time of year it is, but typically there's somewhere between 21 and 24 million people in the city. So it's a big place, there's lots of people all around all the time, and it's a very cosmopolitan city because um, they have more embassies in Beijing than they have in any other city in the world. So lots of different people there, um, lots of different restaurants, lots of different things to see and do. But being a Canadian boy, it got to be uh, close to Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving, one of my favorite foods, actually my all-time favorite food in the world, is turkey. And turkey, when Thanksgiving comes here, you buy turkey, you go to the supermarket, you go to No Frills, you go to Superstore, you go to Sobeys, you go to whatever, and there's all these turkeys there, and you just buy the turkey, and you take it home, and you cook it, and everything is okay. Well, a couple of problems for us. Number one, the oven that we had in China was about this big. So there was no way you were putting a turkey in the oven, but I was bound and determined that we were going to get a turkey. So I went to the grocery store and I looked for a turkey and there were no turkeys. And so then I'm, I'm walking around the store and I looked up the word turkey in Chinese and I'm saying to anyone who listened to me, hua ji, hua ji, hua ji. That means, literally translated, it means fire chicken. But that's the Chinese word for turkey. So I'm running around the store saying, Where's the, where's the turkey? And everyone's looking at me and they, everybody who, who deigned to speak to me would all just say the same thing. That means we don't have any. We don't have any. So I got so desperate. Every, every day my stomach was saying, get turkey, get turkey, get turkey, get turkey. So I'm, I'm listening to my stomach and I'm saying, okay, we got to get turkey. So finally, I got so desperate, I called the Canadian embassy. And I said to them, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm living in Beijing. I really want to have turkey for Thanksgiving. I've gone to all the grocery stores. I can't find turkey in the grocery store. Tell me where to get a turkey. And they said, we don't know. All our turkeys are flown in on Air Canada and sent to the embassy for the embassy workers. We don't have any left for anyone else. <sighs> so finally, uh, at church that Sunday, we talked to someone and they said, oh, I know where there's a special meat shop at the China World Hotel. That was the fanciest hotel in Beijing at that time. In the basement of the China World Hotel, which is also a subway stop. They have like an underground shopping mall. And in that underground shopping mall, there is a meat shop, and that meat shop sells turkeys. And I thought, great, fantastic. I'm finally going to get the turkey. So school finished for the day. I got on the bus, bus 801, and I rode the bus up to the China World Hotel, and I got there and I got into the basement of the China World Hotel and the shopping mall in the basement of the China World Hotel is huge. 
This is one of the main subway stops in Beijing, a city of 24 million people. So you can imagine how big the shopping mall is there. So I'm looking around and I'm looking around and I can't find this meat shop. So finally, I look and I see this desk. And the desk, in English, on the front of it says, information. Information. Great. I'll go over and I'll ask the lady, where is the meat shop? So I went over, and as I was getting closer, I could see the lady there, and she, was, she smiled and she looked nice, but the closer I got, the bigger her eyes got. And she, I could see in her mind she was thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to talk to this foreigner. Now, Chinese people are very friendly, but they get terrified when they have to speak in English because they think my English isn't good enough and I, I can't do it and it'll be terrible. And so the closer I got, the bigger her eyes got and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning, when we first went to China, I didn't know any Chinese. I knew three words. I knew xie xie. That means thank you. I knew dui bi qi. That means, I'm sorry. And jian, which means bye-bye. That's all I knew. So I went up to the lady, and because the sign on the desk said information, I went up to her and I said, can you tell me where the meat shop is? And her eyes got really big, and she didn't know what to say because she couldn't speak English. And I couldn't ask that in Chinese, and she couldn't speak English. And so we both just looked at each other and smiled, and she smiled at me, and I smiled at her, and we weren't getting anywhere. And so I'm trying to reach into the back recesses of my mind, trying to think of what's the Chinese word for meat. And, and she's thinking, how do, I, how do I tell him where this is? Then suddenly I notice on the side of the table is this book, this little booklet that lists all of the shops with a map in this little mall. And I think, oh, this is fantastic. So she picked up the book and she handed me the book, but this book was very nice. You know how sometimes you'll go to the mall and they'll have these little cheap pieces of paper, but this was a, a bound book and it was thick paper, and it had color photographs in it, and all that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, hmm, this, this must cost some money. This must be expensive. So I didn't know how to say, how much does this cost? I know how to say it now. It's dosha qian. How much does this cost? So all I could do was reach into my pocket, and I held up my wallet like this. And I pointed to my wallet, and I pointed to the book. And the lady thought for a moment, and she, her eyes kind of rolled back in her head, and she finally said the first English I ever heard her say, and it was, there is no cost in money. There is no cost in money. There's no cost in money. What does that mean? And finally, I realized what she was trying to say. 
she was saying, it's free. It's free. You don't have to pay anything. It's free. And so I took it from her, and I used the, one of the few Chinese words that I knew. I said, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. She gave me the book, and I went to the store, and when we got there, there was another lady there that was buying turkey but thought it was too expensive. So we cut the turkey in half, and the half a turkey, we took it home, and we fit it inside our little tiny oven, and we had a delicious turkey dinner. But I'll never forget that day because the lady said, there is no cost in money. It's free. And that brings us to our text today, which is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. The title of the message today is Absolutely Free. There is no cost in money. When you grow up in the church, like I did, sometimes you use all sorts of big vocabulary words. Justification, sanctification, propitiation, infrasuprasublapsarianism, all these kind of fancy, dancy words that nobody really knows what they mean. You just sort of use them and hope that no one asks you any questions about them. But today we want to talk about one of those fancy words, and that word is justification. Justification, if you... Um, is a theme in several books in the New Testament. Galatians is one of them. But we're going to look today at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. But if you have your Bible and you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. A couple of weeks ago was Reformation Sunday. And on Reformation Sunday, October 31st, in 1517... Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the Wittenberg uh, church door. And one of the theses that he had was that faith is not based on indulgences or penance or any of that kind of thing. It's based sola fides. It's based on faith alone. And he got this idea from reading and studying the book of Galatians. So I just want to read one verse from the book of Galatians before we concentrate most of our time today on uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians 2 verse 16 says this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So in that verse, Paul uses the word justified several times. So what is justification? We use this word in the church. It's in the Bible. We use it all the time. What does this word mean? When we look at it carefully and we understand what it means, there are several things that come out. First of all, justification is a legal word. It is a legal act done by God. It's not something that I do. It's something that is done by God. It is a legal act of God in which he does two things. The first thing he does is God views our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us if we have faith. 
So the first thing is he views our sin as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. The second thing that he does is he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now that first word is important. He declares us to be righteous. In other words, day by day, I do many bad things. Ask my wife. She's sitting here in the front row after church. You talk to her. She'll, she'll have a big long list of all the terrible things that I do every day. She keeps a record, like a little diary. And she knows all the bad stuff that I do. But God isn't saying that when you are justified, you are perfect. You're not. I'm not. But he declares you to be righteous in his sight. Another way of understanding this word justification is with the word grace. Justification and grace are very much connected. And there's a, an, anac, uh, an acrostic or something that explains this very well. The word grace, G-R-A-C-E. Some people have expressed it this way. Grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, all the benefits, all of the blessings that God has for us, he gives to us freely and Jesus pays the bill. Jesus paid the bill when he died on the cross for our sins. Not for his own sins, but for ours. So really, this is a two-step process. I am a sinner. I have done many things that are wrong. And so the first step is my sin is transferred to Jesus. All of the wickedness, all of the evil, all of the bad things that I have done, Jesus took upon himself when he died on the cross. He took the penalty for my sin. Now that's great in and of itself, but that's not the end of God's grace. To us. The second step is not only does my sin get transferred to Jesus and he pays the bill, he takes the penalty for me. The second step is all of the goodness, all of the righteousness that Jesus has done, God transfers that to me so that when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my wickedness. He doesn't see the things that I have done wrong. What he sees is Jesus' righteousness. God's riches are given to me and Jesus pays the bill. God's riches at Christ's expense. So when we look at this idea of God's grace being absolutely free... For the sermon today, I want to talk about three ways that God's grace is absolutely free. And here are the three ways. Number one, God's grace is free, but free means you don't deserve it. Secondly, free means it's a gift. And thirdly, free doesn't mean it is cheap. So free means you don't deserve it. Free means it's a gift. But free doesn't mean it is cheap. 
and we're going to work our way through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2 to unpack these three ideas. So let's start with the first one. Free means you don't deserve it. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. So if you have your Bible, you can look there. It'll also be up on the screen if you need it. So I want to read those verses for you. It says, starting at verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Wow, that doesn't sound very good. That sounds pretty bad, in fact. We live in a world today where everyone is special. Everyone is good. Everyone gets a prize. Everyone is special. You can be whatever you want to be. But when we read the Bible, what we need to understand is without Jesus, we are lost. How does he say? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You were on the wrong team. You were working for Satan. And because of that, by nature, from the very moment that you were born, from the very moment that I was born, we were deserving of God's wrath. We deserve something, but it's not a prize. It's not a reward. We deserve God's wrath. Not just me, not just you, everyone. Romans 6, 23 puts it this way. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, we all deserve death. We all deserve God's punishment for our sin. That is our salary. That is what we are earning um, in other words, we are all working for something. It is not uh, something that we don't deserve, but God's free grace is something that we don't deserve. Free means we don't deserve it. Now let me ask you a question. Those of you who go to work and earn a salary, at the end of the week, when... Maybe this is showing how old I am. Back before I went to China, all the salary used to be come in a little envelope. And they would, that was the happiest day of the week when you would see the person come around in the office and they'd hand out all the envelopes with the pay. You'd open it up and you'd look and then you'd say, oh, look at how much tax they took out. <laughs> look, at they took out for this and they took out for that. Hardly made anything. But that's your salary, right? You earned it. Now let me ask you a question. What would happen if when the person handed you your envelope, you opened it up, you looked at the amount in there, and you went to your boss and you said to your boss, thank you very much for the free gift that you gave me. I didn't deserve this. 
I, I really appreciate you giving me this money and um, hopefully next week you'll give me more money. This is not a gift. This is something that you earned. This is something that you deserve. And that's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages, you get paid for what you do. And living a life of sin without faith, you're going to get paid. Your wage will be death. But unlike something you can earn, something you don't deserve, God in his infinite grace and mercy says, his free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ by faith. So, Everybody in the world is working, whether you have a job or not. Everybody is working towards something. If you're working at sin, you're working for a salary of death. So free, God's free gift of grace means you don't deserve it. What you deserve is death. But God is gracious and kind and is offering eternal life for those who believe by faith. And that leads us to the second point. Free means it is a gift. This is in verses 4 through 9. Free means it is a gift. Now, why in the world would God give me a gift? Why does he like me? Why does he care about me? Why is he in any way concerned with me? I'm a nothing. Now, Toronto's a big place. Toronto's the biggest city in Canada. But when you live in a city of 24 million people, you really understand what it means to be a nothing. When you get on the subway, when you are walking on Wang Fujing Street, the big shopping street, and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, you begin to understand, I am a nothing. From a human perspective, I am a nothing. But with God, you are important. And this is what Ephesians 2, 4, 5, 6, 7 have to say. Look at them with me. Why Am I important? Because God loves me. And God loves you. Verse 4 says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Why does God give me his grace? Because he loves me. Now, not only does he love me enough to give me this gift, read verses 6 and 7. Not only does God make us alive, we were dead in our sins. But by faith, God has made us alive. And look at verse 6 and 7. He says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him 
in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, why does God give us his grace? It's a gift. I deserve my salary. My salary is death. But God gives me a gift because he loves me. And not only does he love me enough to give me life, he has raised me up so that through the coming ages, he can show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Do you understand what that means? That means from the moment that you become a believer in Jesus Christ, tomorrow, the next day, when Jesus comes again, one million years, five million years, 10 million years into the future, when we are in heaven and we are looking around at each other, we will be able to say, I am here. You are here because of God's love and grace. That's the only reason. God has done this so that we can be living examples of God's grace forever. So when you look around at the people in this church that have come to faith in Jesus, this is Arendelle Bible Chapel. You may have been here for 20 years. You may have been here for 50 years. You may have been here, this is your first Sunday. But if you know Jesus, the people who also know Jesus that you're looking around, they are a testimony of God's grace to you today, tomorrow, and forever. God has raised us up so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus. We become living examples of God's grace forever. Now we said it is a gift. And in verses 8 and 9, this is where Paul explicitly states that it is a gift. He says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why is it important that God's free grace is a gift? Well, Paul tells us at the end here, so that no one may boast. If there was something that I could do, if there was something that I could pay, if there was something that I could convince God to give me his grace, then I'd be able to go to Pastor Nick and say, boy, I really put one over on God this week. I told him to give me his grace and somehow I tricked him and he gave it to me. I'm pretty clever. Or I say, oh, I gave so much money to the church. God likes me so much more now and he's giving me his grace. There's no room for boasting when it's a gift. It's a gift. It's free. It's a gift. Now, 
when you look around the world, lots of people have different religions. There's Judaism, there's Buddhism, there's Taoism, there's Hinduism, there's Islam. Um, there's, I call it a religion, is atheism. To say that there is no God means you are worshiping something else. That's what Romans 1 says. Everybody worships something. And if you're an atheist, maybe you're worshiping money, maybe you're worshiping fame, maybe you're worshiping something, I don't know. But everybody worships something. But when you look carefully at each of these religions, they all have something that you need to do in order to gain uh, favor. Judaism, you have to follow the law. Buddhism, you have to follow the Eightfold Path. Taoism, uh, you have to give up struggle. Hinduism, you have to follow the, uh, a certain path. Islam is the fivefold way. Atheism, you worship whatever you think is important. But all of these things come down to doing something. You must do something in order to achieve the result that you are looking for. But faith in Jesus is completely different. Only faith in Jesus alone can provide righteousness. Why? Because it is a gift. And it is a gift that God gives you because he loves you. So if you ask me, why did I become a Christian? Why did I accept Jesus as my savior? Was it because I'm smart? No. Was it because I did something? No. Why am I a Christian? It's because God loved me and he gave me this gift of eternal life because I believe that he is a good, gracious, giving God. That's the only reason. Lastly, I want to take a little bit of a different turn. This is the last verse that we want to look at. It's Ephesians 2, verse 10. The last point is free doesn't mean it's cheap. I don't know. In my wallet here, I've got a little card. I'll show it to you. Anybody else go to Costco? You ever been to Costco? You don't have to go to Costco, but Costco is a very good example of this. If you go to Costco on Saturday, what are you going to see? You're going to see lots of people, but you're also going to see at the end of almost every aisle, you're going to see people giving out free stuff, right? They have little samples. They have these little cups with little toothpicks in them, and you can try the cheese, or you can try the little sausage, or you can try this, or you can try that, and it's free. And when I go with my wife, I always get everything. It's free, right? It's free. If you don't like it, who cares? It's free. Just throw it away. You don't like it? It's free. Who cares? It's free. And all sorts of people will tell you all the time, take this, it's free. But in the back of your mind, you know, it must be a piece of junk. It's free. It's not worth anything. It's free. It's just junk. It's free. But when we look at the free gift that God has for us, that we do not deserve. Please understand, free does not mean that it is cheap. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, we were dead in our sin. God has made us alive in Christ through faith because of his great love for us in giving us this free gift. And now that we are alive in Christ, he has made us alive so that we will do good works. In other words, God has worked on us and he is expecting us to work for him. Now you say, wait a minute, David, hold on, hold on. You have just spent the first two-thirds of this sermon telling me it's free. There is nothing I can do. It's free. And now you're telling me I have to do stuff. You are mixed up. What's wrong with you? The text says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does this mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. I don't know if any of you are math majors, but let me show you a little math formula and tell you what I am not saying. I am not saying that if you believe, if you have faith, and you do enough good stuff, then God will save you. That is not what I am saying. That is not what Paul is saying. If you believe and you do some good stuff, then God will save you. That is not the correct answer. That is not what the Bible says. What the Bible does say, what justification truly does mean is this. If you believe, God will save you. And as a believer, God wants you to do good works. Faith means salvation and salvation leads to good works. Works don't save you, but works show that you have been saved. God has prepared works for you to do. So as we said, free doesn't mean it's cheap. There are many valuable benefits to this free gift. It's not a throwaway Costco sample. God has given you eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And there are many valuable benefits that come from that. Paul in Romans chapter 5 says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, number one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Before we were children of wrath, but because of justification, we now have peace with God. God is not ready to punish us. He is ready to bless us. Secondly, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We experience God's grace, God's special grace. Our son Joel is with us today, but our daughter Hannah is studying in the U.S. When we named our daughter, her name is Hannah Jane Ann. Do you know what her name means? 
Grace, grace, grace. God was gracious in giving her to us. Grace upon grace upon grace. When we have faith in Jesus, we have obtained access to God's grace and we stand in God's grace in his free gift. Thirdly, Romans 5 says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, oftentimes in English, we use the word hope with our fingers crossed. I hope the Leafs will win the Stanley Cup. Good luck to you. The last time the... I'm old. The last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup, I was three years old. But every year we think, I hope the Leafs will win. Or I hope I get a good score on my test. Or I hope I get that promotion. But we're thinking, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But the Greek word that Paul uses here for hope is not that kind of hope. It is a certainty of something that hasn't happened yet. I know it's going to happen, it just hasn't happened yet. So the valuable benefit we have from the free gift of God is we rejoice in the certainty of the future hope that God will be glorified in us and we in him. It's a free gift, but it's not cheap. There are many valuable benefits. The other side of the coin is, not only are there many benefits to this free gift, but this free gift has an extremely high cost. Romans 3, 23 and following says it this way, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, there's another fancy Bible word, propitiation. That just means satisfaction by his blood. In other words, God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. I mentioned this earlier. Jesus paid the bill. How did Jesus pay the bill? He paid the bill by dying on the cross. God the Father gave his son so that we could have life through faith in that work. I have a son. I am not as good as God. I would not give my son to save you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I like you. I'd give you money if you needed money. But I wouldn't give my son to save you. But God's grace is so great. And Jesus' love for you is so great that God was willing to give his son. Jesus was willing to die on the cross. This is not a cheap gift. This is a gift that cost God his son because somebody's got to pay the bill. There is no such thing as a free lunch. God's wrath had to be satisfied. And it was satisfied by the work of Jesus on the cross. And then the free gift is available to us because of God's grace in giving his son. Last thing I want to mention is thinking about this high cost. 
it reminded me of this pastor. Some of you may know him, um, not personally, but uh, he was a pastor in World War II. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Germany during World War II. Now, you don't have to be a history major to know that World War II in Germany was not a very nice place to be. Hitler was there, and he was doing some really terrible things. We don't need to go into any of the details about that. But this guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor in Germany in World War II. And when he saw the things that Hitler and the Nazis were doing in his church, he began to speak out and say, this is wrong. This should not be done. And because of that, he was arrested and he was put in a concentration camp like, like many Jewish people were, like many other people who opposed Hitler. And he was in that concentration camp for almost three years, right to the end of the war. And while he was in that concentration camp, he was studying as a pastor the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, there are many parts of the book of Mark that talk about being a disciple of Jesus. And so while he was there, he, he began to write a book. And that book was written in German originally, but it's available to us in English now. And the name of that book is The Cost of Discipleship. Now, the sad thing for Dietrich Bonhoeffer is that two weeks before the war ended, he was executed in the concentration camp. But they were able to get his notes from the book and they were able to publish it after the war and the name of the book is The Cost of Discipleship. I want to read to you a very small section from that book in which he talks about costly grace, what it costs to be a Christian. This is what it says. The section is called Costly Grace. And he says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought with a price, he quotes 1 Corinthians 6. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Justification, God's free offer of grace. Free means you don't deserve it. Free means it's a gift free means, or free doesn't mean 
that it's cheap. So what am I supposed to do? Now I know what the word means. That's very nice. What am I supposed to do? Well, the first thing we have to understand is you and I will never, ever, 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 ever be able to do anything to satisfy God's justice. We will never be able to do anything. Now that can sound discouraging, but that's because Jesus has already done it. Now, some of you may be saying, I'm too bad. God can't forgive me. I've done too many terrible things or I'm not, I'm not worthy of his goodness. Well, let me tell you, there is nothing that you have done wrong that is too bad for God to forgive. God's grace is bigger than our sin. God's grace is bigger than anything you or I have done. Nothing I can do can satisfy God. Nothing can escape God's grace. So what do we need to do? You and I need to accept God's free gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Believe in him. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe. Trust him. He will give you grace. He will give you salvation. He will give you eternal life. Eternal life. If you're here today and you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're not done. You and I need to respond to that gift by living a life that pleases God. God has prepared in advance good works for you to do. Can I be so bold as to say, just do it. Just do it. Do what God has called you to do. Live the life that pleases him. And that is your response to the free gift that God has given you. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus was willing to go, that you were willing to send him to die on the cross. Thank you for your free grace that justifies all who believe by faith. I pray if there are those here today that have not given their lives to Jesus, that they would recognize that that gift is available to them today, that they would respond to your Holy Spirit's prompting, that they would hear your call and come to faith and trust in Jesus today to give their lives, to live for Jesus by faith alone. I pray for those here today who know you and maybe struggling with living for you. I pray that they would recognize the immense value of the gift that you have given to them. Encourage them, empower them in your Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you for your glory. That the church would be built up, that you would be glorified, and that the kingdom would be expanded. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.